You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. I've been right about Fauci the whole time. You know that. I know that. And it's good to be right. But in this case, I wish I had been wrong because of what it has meant for the country. So many people have been holding this guy up as though he's the great hero of the pandemic. What we're going to find out is that Fauci, based on the truth, based on facts and numbers and reality, Fauci is somebody that is worse in how he responded to the pandemic than even Cuomo and Newsom and some of these idiot governors that did a terrible job. We'll we'll get to that. But, you know, flag season is here, folks. And I've been telling you about our friends at Allegiance Flag Supply, a great American small business where the founders started the company because they were tired of buying American flags that got tangled up and just worn out really quickly when they're out on display. And they really believed strongly that the American flag should be made here in America. You might be saying to yourself, a flag is a flag, isn't it, Buck? No, my friends. If you've had an American flag in front of your house, and you've ever experienced the constant tangling around poles or the quick deterioration because of wind, rain, sun, this is where American flags from Allegiance Flag Supply stand out. Their flags are made from 200 denier nylon, a material strong and durable but lightweight enough to fly nicely in a breeze. The flags are also made with mold-resistant material and crafted using double-needle lock stitching. In addition, when you buy their flag set, you receive their non-tangle flagpole spinners, that ensure your flag will spin around the pole and no longer get tangled. Allegiance Flag Supply Supply brings the respect to the manufacturing process that the American flag deserves, and you can experience the high quality of this craftsmanship in front of your own home by going to this website, showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. That's showallegiance.com, enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order, and get yours in time for Flag Day on June 14th. That's right. Showallegiance.com is the website. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your new American flag made right here in America. Fauci emails dropping all over the place now, thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request. I highly recommend you dive into some of them yourself if you get a moment, or just listen to this show. I'll do it for you. Because what you'll see is a lot of what we've been told, including by Fauci himself from the beginning of the pandemic, was not really reflective of the conversation going on behind the scenes. A lot of what was going on here involved things like telling colleagues that retail masks don't really do very much, if anything. Um, He was aware there was a possible lab leak. There was some talk of gain of function possibility in terms of the uh, lab leak theory. So here's an ex- here's an example. You know, now now the truth starts to come out over a year into this pandemic of the guy who was elevated to be essentially in charge without any meaningful oversight, without anybody being able to say, hold on a second. Who is this little clown? You know, here I am. I'm just a, I'm just a humble doctor who happens to have almost Stalin like authority over all of American society. And, you know, maybe I have to be on the cover of in style magazine. Maybe I've got to have a book deal, which we now know he's got a book coming out as well. Expect the unexpected. Isn't it such a clever title? I come up with all the best things, all the best titles. 
This is an email in February of 2020 that I think you should you should know about. This is this is real Freedom of Information Act request from Anthony Fauci, National Institute of Health. And it's to a woman named Sylvia. And here's what he says. Sylvia, quote, masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through material. It might provide some slim benefit in keeping out droplet droplets. If someone coughs or sneezes on you, I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low risk location. Uh, I'm sorry. Does that does that seem like what we what we've been told all along here about this? Does does that seem like what what the storyline has been? Ah, it's small enough. The virus is small enough to pass through the mask material. This is from Dr. Anthony Fauci in February of 2020. If you've said that to at any point in the past year, uh, guys, the virus just goes through this this mesh. It doesn't actually protect you. Uh, to wear this mask, you know, to wear, N95 masks give some protection. And I've always said that. But cloth masks, bandanas, handkerchiefs, a joke, absurd. That's what Fauci was saying. But you weren't allowed to say this before. In fact, uh, Harvard epidemiologist Martin Kuldorf, uh, I believe is his name, had his account on Twitter suspended for saying that masks really... Don't do very much. You, you weren't allowed to say this. There are so many of these emails that I think are, are important for you to see. Here's one. This, uh, this comes from, uh, this is a, a tweet from uh, Sarah Westwood at the D.C. Examiner. Peter Daszak, who is deeply involved both in Wuhan coronavirus research and in misleading the public about the likelihood of a lab leak, thanked Fauci for helping dispel the myths around COVID origins and blamed Fox News for targeting his grants. It's it's amazing, isn't it? It says from Anthony Fauci to Peter Daszak. Uh, Tony, as the R01 grant publicly targeted by Fox News reporters at the presidential press briefing last night, I just want to say a personal thank you on behalf of our staff and collaborators for standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin for COVID-19 from a bat to human spillover, not a lab release. So, you know, thanks so much, Fauci, those bad people at Fox News. This is what's going on behind the scenes. These are the actual conversations that are going on. These are the things that are determining health policy. But here's my here's my favorite of all these emails. I mean, certainly the mask thing. The science. You got to listen to the science. Fauci says you have to mask up. Here's one from uh, Christian Anderson on Friday, February 31st, 2020 to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He writes, hi, Tony. Uh, Yes, I saw this earlier and both Eddie and myself are quoted in it. It's a great article. The problem is our phylogenetic analyses aren't able to answer whether the sequences are unusual at individual residues, except if they are completely off. On a phylogenetic tree, the virus looks totally normal, and the close clustering with bats suggests that bats serve as the reservoir. 
The unusual features of the virus make up a really small part of the genome, genome. So one has to look really closely at all the sequences to see that some of the features potentially look engineered. Oh, so this was in January of 2020. Some aspects of the virus, according to a a top researcher here, did look like they had been engineered. But how is it that we had a whole year of being told it was a conspiracy theory? How is it that we spent all of this time being led to believe that anybody who had questions about mask effectiveness? Remember, you weren't even allowed to say things like masks barely work if they work at all, which is obviously true. Oh, no, they work. Fauci says they work. Okay, how many times did I ask you on this show, how well do they work? If they can't tell you, then where is the science they're basing this on? If they're guessing, if it's a gut instinct, that's not the same as being able to prove it. That's not the same as scientific fact. And that's where so much of this just falls apart. That's where it becomes so very clear that there was a lot of politics involved in these decisions. This was not a straightforward situation. This was not just whatever the science said. That's what uh, that's what was relayed to the public. Enormously consequential and highly politicized decision making from Dr. Fauci. And, And another part of this that I think is so interesting is all the emails you see in which Fauci's talking about, you know, this celebrity or that media outlet wants to do a profile on him, wants to do an interview with him once. And we know this guy loved it because he's on TV every five minutes. Vanity is a human constant, unfortunately. Scientists are no way immune to it. And in fact, many scientists, I think, are more susceptible to it because they've gone through most, if not all of their lives, being nerds who don't get the appreciation they deserve, at least in their own minds. So the moment that they get a taste of fame, the moment they have power, you expect that because they're scientists, they're going to wield that judiciously? Of course not. Some will. Very few will. Most would be just like Fauci, someone who all of a sudden found himself going from really unremarkable bureaucrat to the most powerful and recognizable person in America, with the possible exception of Donald Trump when he was president. And even that sometimes felt like Fauci, Fauci was able to override him. Fauci was critical in delivering the presidency to Joe Biden. So he is certainly a hero to the left. But when you look at the email correspondence, when you have a better understanding of who this guy is, you can see that he was part of crafting a narrative. It was not all about facts. It was not all about science. And they hid a lot of this from their uh, in their discussions in front of the public and in the pronouncements from on high. They got a lot wrong and they hid a lot when it came to information that went against their so-called consensus. Fauci should be held to account for this. But, you know, what will end up happening. He will he will go off into the sunset rich and famous and a hero to Democrats because they take care of their ideological warriors. And that's exactly what Fauci has been a failure in the pandemic, a failure to keep Americans safe and to speak difficult truths and to take unpopular but scientifically based positions. 
No, he did what the left Democrat mob, what the collectivists, what the quadruple maskers wanted him to do at every step of the way. Good for Fauci, bad for America. And that's what you see in these emails. And yes, I think a lot of people have egg on their face. This was an idea uh, that, that was first put forward by Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, Donald Trump. And look, some things may be true even if Donald Trump said them. And there was because Trump was saying so much else that was just out of control and because he was, uh, you know, making a, a, a frankly racist appeal talking about Kung flu and, and the China virus, his notion that, that, that put forward that this may have or he said flatly that this this came from that lab, was widely dismissed. But actually, there's some real reason. We don't know, by the way. We still don't know. We absolutely don't know. Uh, but now serious people are saying it needs a serious inquiry. Wow, serious people, huh? Serious people were saying it all along. But he, he let you in there. That's, uh, I don't know, ABC News' is Jonathan Carl formerly of Fox News, I believe, he let you in on on what the corporate media's secret is here. Not really much of a secret. They were opposed to this because Trump was for this. They were opposed to this because it was damaging to Donald Trump to have the whole media saying, he lies, he's lying, he's wrong. It didn't come from a lab. So that was their motivation. The truth being accurate And this is not a thing of minor consequence. Don't you think it's important to know? Isn't isn't the the ultimate test and trace finding out where this outbreak began and how it happened? Isn't that more important than any other test and trace we can really do? How can you prevent the next outbreak if you don't know where this one came from or what happened? Ah, yes, this does really matter, doesn't it? It's not it's not just something that you can uh, cast aside as scoring political points but there's another part of this that i I find so curious and and people are catching on to this we're also told that there was an a opposition to the lab leak theory because of concerns of racism that if the if the virus escaped from a chinese lab there would be more racism against Chinese people, Chinese Americans, Asian Americans, whatever, that everybody in the AAPI community would be at greater risk. Journos really believe this. But to give you a sense of how superficial their thinking is, journos believe this without stopping to think, hold on a second. Why is it going to create racist backlash if people think that this happened as a result of scientific experiments in a lab? But not if people believe, as was the official narrative for almost a year, that we had millions of people die and billions of people infected because some Chinese guys were drinking bat soup or eating pangolin kebabs. Why, why would one result in racism, but the other would not? I'm just the, the thinking here doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? I think it's much more. Uh, it's much easier to wrap your head around a a an accident at a lab than it is for people to think, oh, well, if people in China want to just eat exotic pets in highly unsanitary conditions in these markets, you know, that's fine. That's a cultural tradition or, or whatever. 
no, I, 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 this never made sense, this theory or this, this approach to it, but this is what they've, this is what they've said. And, and there's serious argument out there right now that when we look further into this, we're going to find that there was human recklessness, not just human error, but human recklessness at the very heart of the COVID pandemic. Think about what that will do. You want to talk about losing faith in institutions. I've already lost a lot of faith in the bureaucratic medical institutions out there, places like the CDC and the NIH. I've lost faith in anybody who's a blue check MD who's been out there cheerleading for lockdowns and masks all along because other people were saying so. And then the moment that there were BLM protests, it all changed. Well, BLM protests are about saving lives, so we got to have those even though we're, at the time they were saying human gatherings of any kind were completely unsafe, lives at stake. That's what they told us. But what you've seen here as well is that there's a, a final recognition among anybody who is paying attention that there's a mass mental illness from COVID, that there is a, a pandemic PTSD, there's COVID-19 derangement syndrome from people that have never been sick and many of them are, are vaccinated and they still go around acting like they should be absolutely terrified of this. And I see this here in New York city. I see it every day. There are still countless people walking along the streets who are masked up outside. So if they're worried about the virus, I have to assume they're vaccinated. And if they're vaccinated and outside alone, walking in fresh air and worried about this virus, they really should be worried about a piano falling off a rooftop because the movers made a mistake somewhere and crushing them like a cartoon character because it's about that risky. I cannot guarantee you that if you walk down the streets of New York City, a brick won't fall off the facade and hit you in the head. I can't guarantee you that a a moving company isn't going to let a piano slip out the window and crush you. I, I But I know that you shouldn't worry about that. I know that if you go through your life with that concern, you're just really stealing from yourself. And it's even worse because these panicked lockdowners also want to steal from you. They want to steal your time, your peace of mind, your productivity. This all comes with a cost. Dr. Scott Atlas, formerly of the Trump COVID task force, had this to say, play eight. As far as I know, there's no evidence that the vaccines don't cover the variants. I think even uh, Dr. Fauci said that. You know, so I, I think there, there, there's a lot of issues here. We're not going to go for a zero COVID world or a zero risk world. If we do, then you better live in your, you know, lock your doors and never come out again. I mean, that's just irrational. And in fact, the fear, the fear, inciting fear in search of zero COVID risk is so harmful and uh, it just indicates so many things wrong, including it totally undermines the trust in public health leadership. And this this has really been devastating to that. I'm not sure what's going to happen the next time we need experts. It's all true. People should have tremendous skepticism about anyone who holds themselves up as a 
as a public health expert based on what we've seen. This is one of the, the legacies of Fauciism. Those who come forward who say they know and they don't know. They say it's science and it's really not. And then we find out what they call science is actually politics. That has a substantial impact. That's a reminder to everyone that you better beware when someone accumulates too much power and has no accountability. Just because they wear a lab coat doesn't mean it's all going to be just fine. Living in a digital age where your personal data is always under attack, your online privacy seems to be a thing of the past. There's a better way that you can protect your information and privacy without worrying about the prying eyes of big data. Introducing Secure, encrypted instant messaging and secure email hosted in Switzerland, where the world's strictest data privacy laws are applied. By using proprietary technology and military-grade encryption methods, a a proprietary platform and servers hosted in Switzerland, Secure protects your data from the Invasive Cloud Act and other privacy-intrusive laws. These are secure email and instant messaging services never seen before in the market today, and they're away from big tech platforms such as Amazon Web Services, Facebook, WhatsApp, Microsoft, and Google. Take back your privacy and online security with Secure by going to secure.com. That's S-E-K-U-R dot com and use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure and use that coupon code BUCK. Again, go to this website, S-E-K-U-R, secure, S-E-K-U-R dot com and regain your privacy. The joint session of Congress, according to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today, not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, white supremacists. White supremacist terrorism. you got to be on the lookout for it all the time. It's all over the place. Any moment now. Now, are there white supremacists? Yes. Are there white supremacist terrorists? Yes. Are they really a, a threat worthy of the kind of attention and focus that they get from the Biden administration, from the current uh, federal government, from this regime. No, they are not. Why do they focus so much on this? Because it creates a climate of, of weaponized association of sorts, right? You weaponize the fact that there are right-wingers who are in some way connected through this tenuous ideological thread to some of the you know, extreme far-right uh, white nationalist types out there, right? They say, well, you're on the right. So this is basically saying, well, if you're a mainstream Democrat who's been voting Democrat for 50 years and, you know, you're a, you're a union worker in Ohio who's Catholic and votes Democrat, you're the same as an Antifa lunatic who tries to burn down a federal courthouse or burn down a church, right? It's the exact same thing. That's what they try to do. They try to paint with this intentionally the broadest possible brush and sweep everybody in the right in this in this morally evil and and from a security perspective, imminent threat of the white nationalist terrorists. This is also why you have such a focus on the January 6th insurrection. It's why they call it an insurrection when it was not that. 
There was no there was no serious threat or even serious plot to overthrow the United States government by force. This is insane. All right. If one guy with a cart that says, I am now the president of the United States, you know, walks it through Times Square and then tries to wrestle a police officer to the ground. That's not an insurrection. Right. There are limits on the level of absurdity we will allow the other side to get away with in their description of things. It was a riot, something the left is not only comfortable with and, and engages with on a regular basis, but often celebrates and justifies. We say, no, the riot was bad. Breaking the law is bad. They should not have done that. Uh, they should be punished. I don't think they should be held in solitary confinement for months on end. Under the trumped up, pardon the phrase, allegation that they were really a mortal threat to the United States government. I keep reading all these news headlines. They say the lethal riot on January 6th, the deadly riot on January 6th. The only person who died from the riot was a rioter. Nobody else died from the riot, but they keep repeating this. All right. Having a heart attack two days later is not a riot induced violent death. That's not the same thing, but they keep saying it. Why? Because they need this. They have to create a story for themselves here of the righteous left wing of the Democrats restoring decency and normalcy to America. Keep in mind, they're restoring decency by defining everybody who does not agree with their agenda as being evil and worthy of suppression, worthy of the force of the state being brought to bear against them. This is not a, a recipe for a healthy political climate, and that's putting it mildly. But this is what we are up against. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. That's, that's what they say. Look at the way that the Democrat mindset, the Democrat left, was always underplaying and defining away and, and trying to uh, tr trying to minimize the threat of Islamic terrorism in America, which for years and years was the, the, biggest, the biggest terrorist threat we faced. It's obvious. They used to put up these graphics. I remember I was at CNN once they did this. The number of, of people killed by white supremacist terrorists versus the number of people killed by Islamic terrorists. And they would start after 9-11. So they wouldn't include 9-11. They, they would cut that out and say, see... Look at the statistics. And then I would have to sit there and say, OK, well, hold on a second. How many Muslim Americans are there in this country? Uh, let's it's roughly uh, it's roughly five to ten million, something like that. It's two or three percent of the population, maybe along those lines. How many white males are there in America? It's a very large chunk of the population by comparison. Or just how many white people are in America? It's a, it's still a, a majority of the country. So now you're talking about over 150 million people instead of a, a few million. So when when one group, I used to have to do this analysis, I would argue with people at CNN because they would say, well, the threat for years, even when ISIS was doing mass casualty attacks, even when we were we were using a multi-billion dollar 
anti-terrorism security apparatus post 9-11 to, to deal almost exclusively with jihadist terrorism, perhaps a better way of describing it, a better term for it, jihadist terrorism. Uh, and when you're talking about roughly 1% of the U.S. population that was responsible for being a community from which the largest percentage of terrorism came from at that at that period in time, right, ISIS. So when you look at the proportionality of this, comparing it to to, you know, right wing white America, well, well, you're you're comparing something that is all automatically a much slow, a smaller percentage of the population, much smaller group of the population comprising a much larger percentage of the terrorist threat. That that was the debate during the war on terror years that we'd have to go through. And now I look at this and I say, okay, white supremacist terrorism, what really is what really is the threat? Are, are they so concerned with? Are they trying to stop uh, someone from, let, let's say, the, uh, the, the Charleston church shooter? That guy, that, that was a white supremacist terrorist. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about here. They're going to stop that? Is that the, the focus of the federal government? Or is it on the January 6th commission and just running around and calling everybody white supremacists? Anybody who supported Donald Trump, anybody who's a Republican, who had questions about the election or who, you know, pushed against, fought against COVID lockdowns. You know, last night I saw on, on Tucker's show, this is just a, a side note, but I saw on Tucker's show, you had the numbers, the statistics for vaccine hesitancy. And we have all the major media networks that are saying it's a it's a right wing male, white male phenomenon to not get vaccinated when, sure enough, the BIPOC community in this country um, comprises, uh, well, we're talking about Latinos and African-Americans, have the lowest vaccination rate still. But yet you go, you see on TV, all you hear about is the, you know, the white male Republicans who won't get vaccinated. It's because these, these are narratives, stories that are not true, that make people who believe certain things feel better about themselves and their beliefs. That's what Democrats, that's what the left needs to hear. And so now it's all about, you know, white supremacy and everyone's a white supremacist running around. This is what the left says. Remember, Joe Biden is supposed to be the great fighter against white supremacy all of a sudden. Really? He's a he's a rich old white guy who does whatever advances his interest. But I'm I'm sure he's deeply concerned about communities of color. This is the whole this is the whole storyline. This is what they do. And we hear about this all the time. But they also talk about the existential threat of climate change. These people are nuts. No normal, well-adjusted American is walking around worried about the existential threat of climate change or worried about the threat of white supremacist terrorism or another insurrection against the government. But these are constants in the way the Democrat Party talks about life in America today. You, you, there's an obsession with with race and really with creating racial discord among Democrats and exploiting it for their own purposes. Remember, if the black community did not vote over 90% Democrat, they, they wouldn't be able to win presidential election. So the stakes here are very high. They'll say whatever they have to say. The Democrat apparatus, Joe Biden, his administration, they'll say whatever they have to say for power because that is the motivating principle. Everything else is just 
window dressing. The data shows young black entrepreneurs are just as capable of succeeding given the chance as white entrepreneurs are. But they don't have lawyers. They don't have they, they, they don't have accountants, but they have great ideas. Does anyone doubt this whole nation would be better off from the investments those people make? And I promise you, that's why I set up the National Small Business Administration that's much broader, because they're going to get those loans. They don't have lawyers. They don't have accountants, Biden says, of black entrepreneurs. That's not true. <laughs> so I, I just, why is it okay that Joe Biden can say something so demonstrably and obviously false on this issue, and the media just goes along with it. It's just not accurate at all. I mean, it's obviously not accurate. There's there's no debate about this. There are plenty of black entrepreneurs who have access to and use lawyers and accountants and, and very good ones at that. So what is Biden really saying? It's just blather. It's just pandering. Pandering from an old, out-of-touch white guy, the Democrat Party is propping up like it's weekend at Bernie's presidency. That's what's going on. But you won't ever hear that from the media. Why? Well, because they understand. They know what the game is here. They understand what's really going on. In fact, if you're wondering, I mean, Barack Obama came out and said it straight up recently that Joe Biden... Mr. Moderate Amtrak Joe from Scranton. His purpose is to finish the job, as Obama says, that the Obama administration started or, or got going for eight years. That this really is Joe Biden is the third term of Obama, just without Obama actually living in the White House. Here's the former President Obama saying it himself. Play 11. And I think that what we're seeing now as Joe Biden and the administration are essentially finishing the job. And I think it'll be an interesting test. You know, 90% of the folks who were there were there in my administration. They are continuing and building on the policies we talked about, whether it's the Affordable Care Act or our climate change agenda and, and the Paris Peace Accords and figuring out how, how do we improve the ladders to mobility through things like community colleges. And if, as I think, they will be. They're successful over the next four years. I think that will have an impact. A classic Obamaism too here. You know, if they're successful, that will have an impact. Oh my gosh, it's so brilliant. Look what he's, you know, if they win the game, they will probably be victorious. I mean, oh my gosh, Obama's a genius. It's amazing. I know this is what we always hear. Um, but what he says about how many people, this is just the Obama administration without Obama. That's what you've got. That's what you've got here with this Democrat uh, Democrat apparatus. That's why I refer to it as an apparatus. It's really not a job about Joe Biden. It's about the people who are around him. It's about those who are running these federal agencies and and pushing the agenda of this White House behind behind closed doors. Also, on this point about systemic racism and remember, you know, the white supremacist terrorism is just the the worst manifestation of the systemic racism that we are to believe is has infected every aspect of American society It is everywhere. You, you every institution, every agency of government, there's there's systemic racism everywhere. Where is where is it? How is it? What? How do we deal with it? Oh, don't don't ask any questions. Just 
Shut up and listen to the diversity and inclusion lecture. That's America today. Here's Ibram Kendi. Want, want to find a racism expert? This guy is supposed to be one of the great experts on racism. He's made a whole career out of it. Here's what it sounds like when he tries to explain at a conference what racism is. Play three. You talked about the importance of defining racism, but I, but I, unless I missed it, which is possible, I didn't, I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there, is there one that you would offer us? Like, how do you define racism? Sure. So racism, I would define it um, as a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. <laughs> sure. A, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. Ah, so you understand that the definition is, it's whatever he says it is. Because all those other terms, well, what, what does that mean? What's a racist policy? What's racial equity? What's, uh, what's a you know, just racial outcome? It's all subject to, and not just interpretation, to the whims of the individuals, the high priests of the critical race theory religion, if you will. They get to determine what this really means in practice. And that's the whole point. This is about power. What, what, is, what is a standard definition of racism? One that people can understand and, and, and people could use to guide their own actions in their own lives? Racism is thinking about or treating people differently, good or bad, because of their race. It is immoral to make distinctions based upon skin color. It is immoral to have different legal or personal treatment of an individual because of, their, of the pigment in their skin. It's immoral. It's wrong. That's a definition of racism that, that also can be meaningful to people in terms of how to guide their own actions and how to act in their lives. What, what Ibram Kennedy gave you is, do what I say or else you're a racist. Support the policies I want or else you're a racist. And thus the whole game is given away. We're hosts of a three-hour show, Mika and I, about politics. But, I mean, it's not good for this country to be talking about politics 24 hours. Say, that's not who we are. Fighting about politics. Well, are even talking about politics, obsessing about politics. People looking at MSNBC or Fox 24 hours a day or CNN 24 hours a day. I feel like, you know, like... You know, then to Ferris Bueller, what are you still doing? Go out, like do something, get out, you know. I tell you, sometimes even Morning Joe has something worthwhile to say. And I, I will admit that to you. Now, no one's watching anything 24 hours a day. I, I know that's intentional exaggeration. I'm not quibbling with that, but I'm just saying, uh, obviously, um, that's the case. But I think that it, it is an important reminder here because we've gone through a period of time where we have been cut off from actual human contact, where we've been uh, consuming, I think, so much more 
information media than at any other time and have more options in the consumption of information media, you know, pick the pick who you're going to give your time to and guard your time. One of the most important lessons we all learn, I think, as we get older is how how necessary it is to protect your time Um, and and not to. I mean, I have some things that I always say to myself and I tell to those who are close to me, don't let the unimportant affect the important, right? This is, you know, don't, uh, don't take a, you know, a meeting with somebody who is going to make your boss think you're being disloyal for having that meeting just because you think you're going to be a nice guy by taking the meeting, right? You know, don't allow the unimportant to affect the important, but also that that's a thing that I often say, I think, and it's true in relationships, you know, don't take a phone call from your ex-wife if it, or from your ex-husband if your, your current husband is going to say, well, well, why are you talking to that guy? You know, don't allow things like that to creep up in your life. It's very easy to do so. And not with that, with, with having good intentions, too. Oh, I just needed to, I didn't want someone to feel like I was being rude. I can't tell you how many times in my life I just, I, I, I made a decision because I didn't want to be rude. And then I ended up being more rude in a sense or more problematic, created an issue out of that desire to, to be polite, not hurt someone's feelings. OK, I'll, I'll you know, I'll hear them out or I'll take this call or I'll have this meeting or whatever it may be. And then I have a problem later. You know, then all of a sudden I got an issue because I'm trying to be a you can try to be a good guy or gal and end up making uh, making mistakes that are much bigger than you anticipate. So you've got to remember, and that's why I have that rule. Don't let the unimportant affect the important. And then another one is just learning. And this is, I know I got off on a tangent there, but learning to protect your time. The one thing you can never get back is your time. The one thing that you, you cherish more, certainly as you get older, as you have a more of a perspective on it, is how valuable your time is to you. And, it's possible right now, without even thinking about it, I think more than in any period in human history, to just waste and waste and waste more time with all these these quick fix attention grabbers. You know, they, oh, you know, turn here's another flashing light. Here's another thing to click on. Here's another. Some of that is good. Some of that is worthwhile. I work in news media. I think news and politics are important. But it's all within a it's all within a context. It's all within a framework of y- you got to make sure that you turn off. Don't you know, don't have a news channel in the background all day. I, I don't think that's a good idea. No matter what the news channel is, don't have it in the background all day. Maybe if you're at the office and you're in the workplace, that's one thing. But I mean, when you're home, get away from it. Shut it down. Shut it down. Think about your life. Think about who you are, what you're doing, your relationships that matter to you. You know, we've now finally, I think, as a nation, we're realizing, OK, COVID's over, basically. It's never really over. Right. It's like saying, well, you know, the, even after the great influenza pandemic of 1918, there were still flus. There are still people that died from the flu. But the pandemic was over. The, the COVID pandemic is in this country over. There's still COVID and there's still people who will die from. But this, it's not a, it's not a pandemic anymore. And and for some of us, we've been living pretty normal lives for a while. But for others, they're finally waking up to, oh, now they have to make decisions and determinations about how they spend their time. 
Now there's actual human interaction that they're going to have to manage and, and deal with. And for some people, I think that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be an issue. It's a lot easier to maintain uh, relationships with people when they're just uh, in the superficial realm of digital communications. When you have to give somebody your presence and your attention, physical presence and actual attention, not multitasking eight people in different text messages at once and sending out four emails and, and all this, that, that feels very different. So just remember that, that it is a precious thing when you, this is why I always say to all of you, that you spend your time with me, you listen to this show, I understand that there's, there's quite literally tens of thousands of podcasts you could listen to that deal with politics. I, and, and those are the ones that people have heard of. I mean, there's over a million podcasts total in the Apple store, just to give you a sense of it. But I know that if you're listening to me, you're you're making the choice not to listen to a lot of other shows. And so that's a precious thing, because I don't I don't recommend spending four or eight or 10 hours of your day in the news realm in any capacity. And I think that's become far too easy for us. And you can almost create an escapism of of despair through news, which is not healthy psychologically. A lot of people in America and around the world created an escapism of pandemic despair. Now, obviously, they're not escaping the pandemic by doing this. No, the opposite. They immerse themselves emotionally and psychologically so deeply in it that they block out. You know, why haven't I talked to my brother in five years? You know, why? Why haven't I visited, uh, you know, my elderly uh, grandparents or parents in six months. Well, during the pandemic, I know there are reasons for that, but you know what I'm saying in general. Why, why haven't I worked harder at my job? Why haven't I lost those 20 pounds I've been trying to lose for the last 10 years? You know, it, you, you can start to use the distraction of the world collapsing all around you through news, which is going to take a, a focus on the negative as a means of avoiding what really matters to you in your day-to-day life and what you can control. So yes, spend your time with me, listen to this show, and then, you know, that's it. Maybe one maybe one or two news shows if you want at night uh, before you go to bed, and, you know, a scan of a newspaper headlines if you want, but that's it. Don't get dragged into this because I do believe that there is a, a real mental health crisis in this country that's being made worse by social media, that's being made, that has been made much worse by the lockdowns and then just by this, this Democrat machinery of constant hysteria out there about the insurrection and about all the, the white supremacist terrorists and the institutional racism and the killer cops and all, you know, all these just completely exaggerated threats uh, to America, to, to Americans in their day-to-day lives. Um, it's it's easy to start to feel down about it. And I, I know for a lot of you who got used to having, there was a certain, look, it was fun when Trump was president. He was putting out entertaining tweets and he was engaging and it, it was like never a dull moment in America with the Trump presidency going on. Now there's just something depressing about a Biden presidency. I mean, a lot of things that are depressing about it, but we, we can all feel that. And then the media focus on the negative all the time, not about the Biden presidency, of course. So we're depressed because Biden's the president. And then the media wants us to think there are all these other horrible things going on that we have to be so focused on that, that aren't 
uh, caused by the Biden administration. This is just my my appeal to all of you. Take time to relax your mind and be with people who matter and do it every day. Relax your mind, however that is. Get away from these things. Get away from the the fixation on on left right uh, left right and you know all the challenges of politics today. And then jump back into the fray with me, rested, ready, refreshed. You know, it's it's about striking a balance here. So, you know, I I trash a lot of the nonsense that's said on Morning Joe, and rightfully so. But I will tell you, when it comes to establishing some kind of a balance in your life and keeping news in its proper place. News and information have a, they have a piece of your day-to-day, but you control how much it is and you keep it there. You don't allow it to start creeping into, you know, everything becomes political and everything is just a constant information loop because that, that addiction to the despair of news can become its own escape mechanism from the things that are important in your life, right? Some level of escapism can be good, but you don't want to escape into despair as a means of, and this is what Democrats do with things like climate change. Oh, it's a catastrophic, oh, it's going to end the world, it's existential. I guess I don't have to think about the fact that I'm a huge phony who pretends to care about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, and, and really I just wanted to put something on my Instagram page. But, oh, I, I, I don't have time to think about that because... The existential threat of climate change just keeps me up at night. You see what I mean? I don't have time to think about how poorly I treat my coworkers or employees because I'm too busy being worried about, about uh, you know, fighting systemic racism in police departments across the country by putting a few hashtags on my Twitter account, right? Yeah. You see how that works? Central to the Democrat ethos. In some of these battles of what the left is doing and, and wokeism, you know, it's effectively cultural Marxism. And so you, know, you can have theoretically a successful um, economy, but if the underpinnings of the culture are just being torn apart, I don't think that that's a, a society that's going to be very, uh, very successful over the long term. It's important to engage in the culture war. It's not enough to just try to let everyone do their own thing and, oh, people will just do what they do. This is, I think, one of the failings of the modern conservative movement in America until recently. There was a a large contingent of people who thought of themselves as conservatives who believed that the way forward was to create a neutral space where nobody would really push for a set of ideas, they would just say, we'll leave it open to whatever ideas. We're not going to try to involve ourselves in school curriculum. We're just going to assume that the people involved in this will do so in good faith. And we're, we're not going to try to put our stuff in front of kids. We're not going to try to get our classes and, and reading lists uh, to be standardized in schools. We'll allow... The, the teachers uh, and the teachers unions and the Department of Education and so on and so forth. That was the approach, and it has resulted in critical race theory taught in schools now all across the country. It has re- resulted in an increasingly uh, obviously left wing and Marxist Democrat party. And we finally see that they're willing to shut down 
our side through whatever means they can because they're seeking not just political but cultural dominance too. And I think you could argue that the left in many ways is closer to cultural dominance than it has been in certainly my lifetime. You see what they've done online with big tech, with entertainment media, with sports. I mean, if I had told you that you had to be a woke to be a professional athlete 10 or 15 years ago, you probably would have laughed. No, you don't. Sports are a great American pastime. If I had told you 15 years ago that you would have top athletes kneeling during the national anthem because of police violence in America, really, that would have seemed outlandish to you. And yet this is where we are. And Governor DeSantis understands that it's not enough to merely say that you oppose these things. You must take action where you can against critical race theory teaching in schools against companies that are censoring conservative ideas and doing everything that they can to make sure that only left-wing perspectives are allowed in the public square. Otherwise, we just lose and they keep gaining ground. The other side, the left, reaches its pinnacle of power and then it perhaps is too late. I mean, you can have societies where you have one-party rule and there, are, even if, if there is a technical democracy, there is really only one political party that has its say, is able to do anything. And that's the Democrats' plan, I believe, in this country. That's what they're trying to do. That's where they're trying to take us, to be the dominant political and cultural force and to be able to make sure that it really just turns into a discussion going forward of how woke, how left-wing, how socialist the country will be not whether those are even worthy ideas in the first place, because I think quite clearly they are not. Um, DeSantis has gotten a lot of attention because he signed this this uh, bill that bans biological males from playing in women's sports in, in colleges. And the NCAA has responded in predictable fashion by saying, oh, well, we're not going to have our tournaments there. Well, DeSantis has learned the gnome lesson of don't bend the knee right away. Don't say you're a fighter and then bend the knee to woke corporations or nonprofits like the NCAA. The whole point is you have to be willing to fight. It's not just rhetorical action that we want. It's real usage of power. And DeSantis has said he's going to protect women's sports in the state of Florida and not going to bend the knee to the NCAA or any other company or corporation for that matter play 10 i think as these bills were going through various legislatures i remember the ncaa put out a statement saying any state that enacts this we're not going to hold events there and so i called the speaker of the house in florida and i said did you hear what they said and he's like yeah i said we definitely got to get this done you can't be cowed by these organizations or particularly by woke corporations uh, from doing the right thing and so my view was throughout this whole time we have to protect our girls. It is discriminatory to force them to compete against biological males. And so if the price of having a tournament is that I have to deny equal opportunity to hundreds of thousands of young girl and women athletes throughout Florida, uh, I am much more uh, willing to stand with the girls and to hell with these events. To hell with 
these NCAA events. He's absolutely right. I keep saying it. I don't know how it could be anybody other than Ron DeSantis from the Republican side in 2024. I think we'd be making a mistake from what I've seen right now, from what I've seen so far, I should say. You know, Trump is going to be almost 80. Guys, let's get real about this. You you know that I think that Trump had some did some really good things, great messaging, built a movement. But we have to deal with with the reality of where we are as a party. And I want what's best for not just the GOP, but for America. The GOP is just a mechanism for getting the best outcome for my fellow Americans. It is a means to an end. I don't have some deep tribal allegiance to the Republican Party. It's not about that. Um, But I don't have any deep allegiance to an individual politician either. They are also a means to an end to govern as best as the American people can be. That's the point. That's the purpose. I think Ron DeSantis is our best shot of that. And he's certainly showing us that he's not tired of winning. Not yet. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of Internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the Internet. Sadly, every site you visit, every video you watch, every message you send is tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, it's so easy. It's just an app. You download it. The software that ExpressVPN has hides your IP address, something big tech uses to spy on you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. Stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck right now to learn more. I think defunding the police has got to be one of the dumbest ideas ever surfaced by anyone in our country. Yep. I've said it before. Walls don't work was the dumbest political slogan that the Democrats had ever come up with until... Uh, until at least the modern era of the Democrat Party. And then they came up with defund the police. And you'll notice that now they're walking away from defund the police. Now they're talking about changing police budgets, reimagining policing. There was a brief period where they would even talk about abolishing police, but they realized that was just truly, obviously insane. So then they moved, then they they scaled it back a little bit. Then they came up with, well, we will, if we're not going to be able to abolish police, if we're not going to be able to even defund the police, now let's talk about reimagining public safety. They're changing all these phrases as a means of trying, and they're changing around the language, in order to avoid the accountability of the stupidity that they've engaged in for so long. That's what's actually happening here. The the defund the police movement has resulted in catastrophic outcomes for communities all across the country. It was awful, was a terrible idea. 
and more people have been attacked, raped, murdered, shot as a result of the undermining of law enforcement coast to coast. That's just what the numbers show. So now where do they go? I want you to remember this now because you'll see this increasingly. And and it's been a big issue as well with the COVID uh, lockdowners and and the Fauciite consensus and all the rest of it. Uh, There's there's been this this belief, and, and I will tell you that I had it for a while, that the Internet would create greater accountability because of the transparency around information that existed. It wasn't possible when I was growing up, you know, before the Internet was even really a thing. I, I had no realistic way unless I was going to go to a branch of the New York Public Library or something. I, I couldn't figure out what somebody had uh, written in a newspaper six months ago or what some official was quoted saying at a speech, you know, eight months ago. There was no way for me to find that out as a, as a private citizen who just wanted to know what's going on. And so now the Internet comes along and we have this information machine that can pull instantaneously literally millions of news articles and hits and everything together. And you can find out exactly what somebody said months ago, hours ago, a hundred. You know, well, you know, if you can pull up the quote a hundred years ago, it doesn't matter if it exists, you can find it. But we've been assuming up to this point that particularly when we're talking about online storage of news articles and and things that are part of the daily narrative creation machinery, we've been assuming that they would be honest in how they did all of this. And now what you're starting to see is the changing of online history to suit the present narrative. Now, I don't mean censorship of the right, and that's certainly a part of it. That's been going on for a long time. No, I mean stealth editing of Washington Post headlines. I mean the the alteration, yes, Soviet style, the alteration of the official record, which is easier. It's harder to, to figure out when this happens online than it is even when you have people that have to go back and white things out in a book or or eliminate all the all the hard copies of it because you're just changing around some zeros and ones in the back end of a website essentially it's something you can just switch and they may add a updated story to it right they they'll say oh we updated this but unless you know very specifically what was done that doesn't tell you very much They're doing this about COVID lockdowns and they're doing this about what the headlines were around the Wuhan leak theory. This is happening. This is really going on right now. And now I'm not saying that they're completely in the open about it. I'm not saying it's yet as egregious as it could be. But just remember, Google is a left wing company, a left wing company, not even a left of center company. And they have the power to change public perception about an event based upon their search algorithm, which nobody really understands outside the company and for which there's essentially no transparency. You know, if you Google, what did Fauci say about masks in 2020? For most people, whatever appears and whatever's the first 
two or three things that appear is going to be their perception of what really what really was said, what really happened with Fauci. Uh, what we're going to find out more and more, I think, is that these tech giants are also going to play games with that. Why wouldn't they? Think about how they've been suppressing information during the pandemic all along. Think about the means they've they've used up to this point. And this brings me back to the whole defund the police narrative. This is a stunningly, shockingly stupid political rallying cry. And there's going to be efforts to make it seem like this was not really what, in an election year in 2020, Democrats were marching all over the country, engaging in riots, destroying property, attacking cops. There will be an effort to make it seem like that's not what happened. Might be somewhat subtle, but it can still be very effective. We are no longer in an era where uh, the media even feels the need. They don't even feel the obligation to keep accurate records of what they themselves said at different points. Uh, there's a great piece. I wanted to share some of this with you. you. Got me thinking about this today. Uh, the media's memory hole privilege by Michael Brendan Doherty on National Review. Here's what he writes. In our digital future, individuals will be held accountable for all their sins while the ruling institutions will correct their mistakes secretly. With COVID, it's happened already. He says, With the Internet, there is no paper trail to burn. There is just code to update. And this has presented a kind of fate accompli for journalistic ethics. The past used to be there in embarrassing paper, eventually turning yellow and converted into microfiche. Journalistic errors existed and were acknowledged. The disposability of the medium made the mistakes less embarrassing overall, and the archivability of the medium made the public record easier to determine. But the Internet makes your past mistakes present, and that's unbearable. On February 17, 2020, the Washington Post ran a story headlined, Tom Cotton Keeps Repeating a Coronavirus Conspiracy Theory That Was Already Debunked. Recently, the headline and some of the text have been changed to say that the senator from Arkansas keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. The memory of the original headline is half embedded in the URL, which still has the word conspiracy. Basically, the incoming Biden administration has authorized an investigation into the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origins. Facebook has subsequently stopped memory-holding posts suggesting that COVID-19 may have an origin in a lab, and the Washington Post is saving the honor of our unchallengeable, unchallengeable ruler, which is not Joe Biden. Isn't it amazing? You, you see what's happened here. You know it's true. Very good piece by Michael Brendan Doherty. Uh, they are not only elevating some narratives and storylines over others in the most flagrantly partisan and obviously political way, but now they're just going to start changing what was said, changing the headlines at way after the fact. This isn't a headline change meant to generate additional traffic the day of a piece. That happens. That's standard practice. This is, oh gosh, that headline from a year ago is embarrassing. Let's just change it and say it was something else. In 2021, Michael writes, our ruler is the illusion of an infallible expert consensus. 
which is mediated to a supposedly raging and stupid American public by self-described clever and public-spirited journalists, and then hopefully, in their view, encoded into the algorithms of social media. Having learned his lesson about 2016 the hard way, by suffering the disapproval of Barack Obama and his own woke workforce, Mark Zuckerberg is now tasked with the work that Jesus put off until the general judgment at the end of the world, dividing us all into sheep and goats. We are in an era of unprecedented propaganda machinery, and one side has seized the commanding heights of those mechanisms. So much so that not only can they elevate what they want but they, and suppress what they don't, but they can change our perception of communication reality itself by altering headlines, by doing things that you would think would be on their face uh, violations of journalistic ethics. But instead, they justify as necessary as part of the hashtag resistance, necessary as a means of, of pushing back against the predations of Donald Trump. Whatever that means for their uh, professional goals, whatever that means for what they're supposed to be doing every day, that doesn't matter. Always told you what's goal number one, pursue power. True for all Democrats, not just journalists. Pursue power, have it, use it, wield it, get it. Those are the goals. What they have to do to get there, just a question of figuring it out. Without qualified immunity, how do you get people to do law enforcement work? There's a bill that's passed the House of Representatives that would eliminate qualified immunity. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, that means every police officer would be subject to being sued personally. Which would mean that law enforcement in America would uh, cease to be effective because you would have so many people that wouldn't want to do the job anymore and you'd have so many cops who quit so that they would leave or they just wouldn't join up in the first place. There must be activists in the Democrat Party who are smart enough to understand this. And in a sense, that's almost more terrifying because what it tells you is they don't care. This is a price. More murders, more more burglaries, more rapes, more more uh, you know violent assaults. That's the price the Democrats are willing to pay in order to seem like they're addressing the concerns of the BLM movement and standing up for Bi- BIPOC communities, right? Uh, black Indigenous people of color, BIPOC. New acronym I learned recently, which I, I have to use now just so I, I don't forget it. Uh, but McConnell is right that qualified immunity, without that, police work becomes essentially an intolerable risk for most people. And it just goes to show you how absurd and how crazy the Democrats have really gotten. Uh, oh, on the I meant to get to this before. Jason Chaffetz said this. I do think we're going to reach racism, hysteria, fatigue at some point. I'm not I don't think we're there yet, but it's going to grow. We're really sick. We should be really sick of getting constant lectures from Joe Biden about race relations. Play seven. I think we have a history, and uh, not all of our history in the United States is a pretty one. And, sure. and I'm not afraid of, of acknowledging that and learning about that. 
But to push it to the degree and the direction that the president is trying to do, I think, is wrong. I look at today's immigration policies. I think people understand that we need to protect our borders. But when he doesn't, when he just allows this free flow of people into the country and gives them advantage over Americans, that again divides us. So I don't know exactly what his goal is. I think he's listening to the far radical left side uh, of the equation who are asking for things that I, I just don't think are palatable. I think America is tired of being told that it's racist. I know I'm not racist. I know my family's not racist. I know most of my friends aren't racist. And if they were racist, I wouldn't hang out with them. So America is tired of that. Create opportunities and allow people to thrive and stop taking Americans' money and then handing it out the way they see fit and do it in an equal basis. If you keep telling people that we're divided, guess what? We're going to be divided. That's not the vision of Martin Luther King. That wasn't the, the vision that I heard from other civic leaders. But I hear it from Biden more than I hear anybody else. Is that because Biden doesn't understand what's happening or is he getting exactly what he wants, which is this division that Jason Chaffetz was talking about there? That's what you have to remember. We, we no longer have two parties in this country that want the same things, but just want to use different approaches and have different views of the law and the Constitution to get there. We want a we want fundamentally different in many ways outcomes for American society from the, the Democrats. We want different outcomes insofar as we don't we don't want any discrimination on the basis of race and we don't want any systems. We don't want any uh, mechanisms in place for making determinations based upon skin color. We, we reject that out of hand. So this isn't a, a just a disagreement that you can say, well, it, it doesn't make that big a difference. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Um, you know. Kamala is, I just noted this uh, at the top of the show, and I, I wanted to say that Kamala is backing away from her role as border czar, which is pretty incredible. You know, they just got rid of, officially got rid of the remain in Mexico uh, policy of the Trump administration. Anyone who understands how our border currently functions and what's going on there will tell you that not, not only is the situation they're out of control, but it's not going to get better because the things that the Democrats would have to do to make it better, the actions that Joe Biden would have to take to improve things are in line with what Trump was doing. And that is a concession that the Democrats are not willing to make. They'll never say that Trump was right on the border. Can you imagine? This would uh, this would completely melt their faces off. Right. The Democrats will never admit this. They'll never say that that's what happened. But then what do they do? Because the only ways to fix the crisis at the border are the ways the Trump administration took in the past. Well, you can just take the Kamala approach, which is moving on to something else. Distancing herself from the fraught situation at the border is the CNN. That's the very gentle CNN headline. Yeah, she she doesn't want to be dealing with this because it's going to be a loss. When all is said and done, she will not secure the border. She will not do what is necessary. And so if she was tasked with that, it becomes a major challenge. It becomes the a major problem for So that, that's where you got to start to see. Neo-Nazis oh, okay. brandishing torches. The optics here are quite clear. Hate crimes against Asian and Jewish Americans. Reminders that white supremacism, white terror, 
is the most lethal threat to our homeland today. What really should scare us all is that never in the modern era have we seen what should be relegated to the fringes. You know, they're neo-Nazis. You know, they're white supremacists. But they've always been kept in the modern era on the fringes of society. Stay where you're supposed to be, in the shadows. You deserve nothing else. You have the right to speak, but what you say is not right. And we will not regard it as such. Abject bigotry. Now, it is at worst embraced and at least minimized by an entire political party. Ah, I see. The Republican Party is all guilty, all tied in at some level, all at least minimizing, if not embracing neo-Nazism and white supremacy. This from a CNN anchor who is a moron who would be nowhere in life without his last name. But nonetheless, let's address this with my friend Kurt Schlichter. He is a senior columnist at townhall.com, a lawyer and a veteran of the United States Army. Kurt, great to have you as always. Oh, great to be here, Buck. And, uh, of course, listening to the Fredo of the Cuomo family, he's smart, not dumb like everyone says. He's smart and he wants respect. You know that you know that he he on video referred to being called Fredo as like an ethnic slur. And instead of a funny movie reference about the fact that he's a buffoonish brother. Well, if it is an ethnic slur, so what? I mean, did he just doesn't his whole. Clip, isn't his whole clip an ethnic slur? I mean, what are the rules, Buck? I'm very confused. Now, I I, I, I am less concerned with what the rules are than that there be one set of them. And he seems to think it's okay. He just did it. He accused an entire race of a, a certain crime, not differentiating between people, etc., so forth, which, you know, uh, in the real world is called racism. Um, so why would it be wrong to call him Fredo, even if it was an ethnic slur? What is why is one right and one wrong? I'm I'm very confused. Well, I think it's now also it's it's troubling that you see that Biden keeps returning to this. The, clearly, Democrats believe that the exaggeration of the threat of white supremacist terrorism and another insurrection. This is a central narrative for this presidency. My insurrection. Yeah, there's a central narrative here for the Democrats. And, and that should give everybody some 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 real concern who cares about the future of the country, because, I mean, this is this is idiot slandering of everybody who's a conservative, everybody on the right. And it's intentional. And these are people that have shown a real authority. I mean, these are leftist Democrats who have shown a real authoritarian streak for the last 15 months. Well, you know what it is, Buck, is it short term thinking? Because they think, wow, in this next election, I will be able to motivate this this part of my base uh, with these bizarre accusations. Now, you're right, this is troubling, especially to those of us who served in the Balkans because their ethnicity was everything. One of the greatest achievements of America was that the majority ethnic group did not think of itself as a cohesive ethnic group. You know, white Americans, whatever that means, because I, I, I think racial... Uh, categories are generally stupid uh, and and don't re- reflect reality. I mean, you know, what are my kids? My my, my wife's Cuban. I'm German Scottish. What what are my kids? A, 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 if you get past the premise that you should put people into categories, which I reject categorically, but 
well, yeah, whiteness is also a very broad and very sloppy category. I mean, as I've, I've had to point out before on this show, if it's about skin color, exclu- I mean, and I mean explicitly skin color, then you've got people who come from Afghanistan who have blue eyes and red hair. You've got people from North Africa who are blue eyed and uh, uh, blue eyed and blonde haired. I mean, it's just absurd. It's stupid. And it's uh, the kind of thing stupid people do. It's the kind of thing that um, are uneducated elite. And, yeah, they have Ivy League degrees, but they are absolutely uneducated about the world. The, like I said, the greatest achievement, one of the greatest achievements in the United States was that its major ethnic group did not consider itself an ethnic group in the sense that it didn't identify and unify. So they're taking a position that would encourage those people to suddenly identify themselves by color and band together. That's insane. That's 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 literal madness. But they think in the short term it'll work. In the long term, do the, the, the problem with our, our liberal elite, Buck, is they they believe the world is static. They believe, you know, if if, if things aren't working out the way they are, they can change some rules and it, get the advantage of it while retaining the protection of the old rules. And that's the problem, as you know from your time working uh, uh, working with military folks as a CIA officer. The enemy gets a vote. The other side does things. It it, it doesn't remain static. It's not like a, a bunch of you know most of America is going to go. Well, you know they labeled me a terrorist. I guess I better shrug and become a surf. It doesn't work work like that. How how could they even imagine it? Instead, the 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 the, the terrible logic of them is uh, racial conflict, racial balkanization. And that, you know, like I said, I served in Kosovo. I know what that looks like at the bottom of the slippery slope. These people are not just stupid. They're dangerous. We're speaking to Kurt Schlichter, senior columnist at townhall.com and a uh, military veteran. And Kurt, you know, the, the Biden administration really likes to 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 push this narrative whenever they get the opportunity. And, and I just I, I have to wonder at, at what point it becomes too obvious, too opportunistic when you see that Joe Biden is a rich, old, white millionaire. OK, this is this is a guy. He's from Delaware. This guy does not care about the struggle of BIPOC communities. This guy is not in touch in some way with and doesn't have some deep understanding of racism. If anything, look back at his at his history and politics. He's got some sketchy associations with Democrats who, as we know, include Democrats like Senator Robert Byrd, formerly of the KKK and and, and others who always get a pass for their, you know, their racial or racist transgressions. Uh, I mean, Biden, as as the great hero of of wokeness and social justice. I mean, this is this is appallingly flimsy and stupid, but yet it's a central narrative of this presidency. Uh, It is. It's cheap and lazy, and they think it's going to help them in the short term. But it's not. It's simply going to uh, uh, reinforce uh, division, and it's not going to divide necessarily the way they want it to. You know, you, you, you let this genie out of the bottle and, you know, he he he's going to grant wishes, but they might not be yours. Speaking to Kurt Schlichter here, senior columnist at townhall.com. And, and Kurt, 
the the talk of in uh, of insurrection still continues on here. We have finally in recent weeks the National Guard presence at Capitol Hill ended, which was I, I, the whole thing was so ab- absurd and and stupid. You have people who meaning the the deployment of thousands of soldiers. As, I mean, D.C. is an armed camp. Congress was back in session hours after the so-called insurrection. Everything you know worked out in the end. You know, with, with people getting arrested who broke the law, people being now they're being held in solitary confinement. Actually. Well, under we, the well, threat we, of another insurrection. And I just it feels like this is the Russia collusion crazy in it in just a different context. Now, a giant well, we, lie that's used as a huge club to bludgeon the Democrats, political opponents and the whole corporate media apparatus is on board for it. Yes, it was a riot. It was bad. It was stupid. It wasn't an attempt to overthrow the United States government that the Republican Party was backing and and wanted to actually happen. Oh, I, Look, only idiots believe that. Most normal people are like, "Yeah, I've seen, I've seen rowdier frat parties." Um, the, but, but the, the the problem that you touched on is the dual dual justice issue. Uh, these guys are being persecuted, but you know, you attack a, a courthouse in Portland for month after month after month. Yeah, and then you get your charges dismissed, charges dropped. Uh, you can't have two systems of justice. You, you can't have two sets of rules, which is why I think it's so important that President DeSantis or whoever comes in as a Republican pardon every single one of these people who was arrested. Not because they didn't do something stupid. I, I think some of them did some stupid stuff. Uh, but because we cannot allow a dual system of justice, they, they would be pardoned so that their, uh, uh, you know, their, their consequences matched, matched those of the Democrats friends. I think I'm just going to put an idea out to you, Kurt. I think that emotional instability and hysteria are central characteristics, foundational characteristics of the Democrat Party in America today. What do you think? I think I think you're correct, Buck. I write about this tomorrow in my town hall column. Um, look, these are primarily pampered Ivy League folks. They're not like you and me. They never deployed. They've never had done anything difficult. They're, I mean, their their life path is, you know, I was in college, I was in grad school, then I wrote for Vox, and now I write for the Washington Post. Okay? Hardly, uh, you know, these guys are not tempered on the forge of uh, life and death challenges. Instead, they've had a very easy life. But normal, but, but, but people naturally, Buck, uh, want a challenge. They seek a dragon to slay. These guys have discovered a, a, a toothless dragon, and they're pretending they're St. George. I fought the insurrection. Oh, I was in the resistance. Never have so many risk so little with so much self-aggrandizement. I think that also ties into why they've taken so much to the uh, the extreme Fauciite measures, because it oh, yeah. was it, it's it's a mark of they think selflessness, intelligence and bravery to triple mask, even after you're vaccinated, going for a bike ride alone in Park Slope. Like they think that makes them a good, brave person. They they actually have taken bravery and and uh, defined it in an entirely different direction. These, you know, we served overseas. Other people have done other hard, difficult things. People have been cops or whatever. But we've been, you know, for for a lot of these people, 
tough men have created a paradise where they face no real challenges. This, this is their big challenge. This is their Woodstock. There are people, Buck, who are going to tell their grandchildren, expecting to be, uh, you know, expecting to be held in awe, that they survived the great pandemic of 2020. This is the pinnacle for a lot of these people, and, and, and they want to milk it. Because as you know, when you do something like this, when you like go back to deploy, there's a certain, I don't, want, I don't know if it's excitement, but you feel alive in a way you don't at other times, right? It's a little bit, you know, there's a little edge of fear. You're, you're watching history happen. It's exciting. You don't know what's going what's gonna to go down next. They've never had that. This is it for them this is you know they're they're you know you know there are guys who dropped into normandy and you know uh lived lives after but you know that moment in normandy is something that they'll always think about for these people this is what they'll think about it god that's pathetic kurt schlichter look for his column tomorrow on townhall.com kurt good to have you man talk to you soon thanks for having me Ultimately, we cannot just sit and negotiate forever. We have to get to an end. I was just looking at some stats this morning, John. I mean, China invests 10 times as much in infrastructure that the United States does. That's just not tenable for us if we want to lead. China is doing such a better job with their economy, huh? Jennifer Granholm, give me a break. Get out, get out of here. Nonsense. But... They've gone from negotiate to do what we want or else, right? Negotiate or there's going to be uh, there's going to be just us steamrolling you. So I, I got to tell you, it's it's not surprising at all that this uh, this Democrat Party thinks that it has no it has no reason to it doesn't have to respect the other side. It just expects the other side to comply because there's an emotional, babyish, tantrum-based psychology at the heart of the modern Democrat Party. Do it because I said so. Do it because I want you to do it. That's all that matters. It's not about reason. It's not about making a case that people can say, oh, wow, you know what, you're, you're right. Uh, something else I wanted to get to today, the JBS, my actual initials here, it's the biggest meat supplier to America in the world. And there's been a meat hack attack. Here we go. CNN. Some shoppers may want to brace themselves for yet another possible supply crunch. This time with meat. Major beef and pork producer JB USA suffered a cyber attack last weekend, prompting reported shutdowns at company plants in North America and Australia. The White House has said the ransomware attack was likely carried out by a Russia-based criminal organization and that it is dealing with the Russian government on the matter. The Australian government has said that U.S. law enforcement is taking the lead on investigating the attack. So far, some authorities and trade groups have assured operations uh, will be back to normal as soon as possible, allaying concerns of a major disruption, but experts warn it could depend on how quickly the issue is taken care of. You know, Russia... I'm somebody that tries to tries to calm everybody down after all the Russia hysteria. But, you know, if Russia messes with our meat supply, when you start cutting me off from my hamburgers and my T-bone steaks, I get pretty upset about things. So I'm telling you, Russia, there there is some stuff you don't want to mess with. And when you get between an American and his pound of bacon, 
or his, uh, you know, filet mignon, if you want to go fancy, you're playing with fire. But you'll see more of this hackers on foreign soil who demand ransom money from companies once they get into their systems and places are going to pay it. That's the part of this that doesn't get the focus in the media that maybe it, it needs to. So everyone understands that this stuff, these tactics work very well for these hackers. But endangering our meat supply, that's that's something that just goes too far for me. What am I going to do? I'm going to eat tofu all day and eat seitan. Uh, you know, the, the, all these meat, these burger replacements that are out there. None of them. None of them really taste anything like a burger. A burger's way better. I don't know why we have to pretend there's all these companies that get funded. They get all this money to come up with, you know, oh, we've replaced meat. No, you have not. There's no such thing as a real meat replacement. There's just plant stuff that's made to vaguely resemble some form of meat product. But meat, as we all know, is superior. So I'm just hoping we don't get a big. I hope some of you, you know, we have a fantastic meat sponsor. If you uh, if you got in on that, you're good to go. But, you know, you don't want to wait on these things. When I when I tell you to check out our, our meat sponsor here on the show and, and get some moink sent to your home, now you know I'm trying to get you prepared, friends. Dr. Fauci is going to be getting a paycheck, a big one, friends, for his book on truth and handling this health crisis. What What's the title here? Uh, expect the Unexpected, 10 Lessons on Truth, Service, and the way forward. This is going to be released in November. It's only 80 pages long. And Fauci, it's not clear yet if, if he's going to keep or donate the proceeds. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on this guy to donate. Now, I don't know if he will or not, but why would Fauci be writing a book meant to profit personally? as a result of what's gone on during this pandemic. What is his book really going to be about? You have to wonder. Unless it's 80 pages of, I'm sorry, I was wrong over and over again, and I kept being wrong even more. And then right when you thought, hold on a second, uh, could he be wrong anymore? Then, then yes, yes, in fact, it would come forward that I was wrong again. And it's almost amazing the amount of wrongness that I've been able to pull together. Expect the unexpected, they call it. Yeah, you, you know what is expected here? That you have a Democrat bureaucrat with Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is finding yet another way to put himself personally at the center of this and seemingly benefit from it. Why should any of us see this as anything other than Dr. Fauci building his own brand because, you know, this guy is going to get a CNN gig. You know, he's going to be on MSNBC. What? He's going to stick around after this. You, you think this guy wants to go back to doing uh, public you know, health announcements during flu season? Wash your hands. You got to wear. A, well, wearing a mask during flu season. We'll see how much of that they push on us. But you got to wear a mask. You got to wash your hands. You got to social distance. No, he doesn't want to go back to that. He's gotten a taste of being famous. He's gotten a taste of being really important. He's not going to want to give that up. 
There's no part of Dr. Anthony Fauci that's going to say, you know what? I, I think that being the most powerful unelected official in America is something that I don't ever want to be repeated again for anybody else. So I'm going to tell the truth about how I really had too much authority and was able to promote far too many policies under the guise of guidance. Remember, that's what they always say. You know, we follow the We've got measures and we got to stop the droplets with the masks and we got the public health guidance You know, all this stuff that he was saying all along. The Democrats allied with Fauci to create an authoritarian health policy super state and to defeat Donald Trump in the midterms. And as I always tell you, this is where Democrats excel. They take care of their own. This is where the Democrat Party really shows you why they're able to, despite being bad at governance, win people over to their side to vote in to vote Democrat in elections. It's because, for one thing, if you want to be in with the cool kids, if you want to be well taken care of by the elites, you want that Netflix advisory deal, that that board seat on a Barry Diller company, you know, from IAC. You want to be somebody who gets invited to the really fancy parties. You got to be a Democrat. You want to be somebody who gets the top publishing house to push your crap book like Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Well, you better be a Democrat. If you're a Republican, you could write the the formula for turning coal into gold. Well, you know, coal prices going up. A lot of things are going up these days. But you, you, you could have the, you know, the, the meaning of life written on a piece of paper. And a lot of publishing houses wouldn't want to touch it because they are partisan entities. And then there's also what Fauci has shown us here. Sure, there's the book deal part of this. But there's also what he has taught us about the nature of the administrative state. And this has been a concern of mine for a long time. There is in this country a fourth branch of government, and it is the bureaucracy. I'm quite familiar with it because I used to work for it, in a sense, at the CIA. Now, I will tell you that the Central Intelligence Agency is, among federal bureaucracies, uh, the most academically elite and it's relatively speaking and i know some of you're going to guffaw and you should as i say this relatively lean and mean now that that's not to say there's not a tremendous amount of waste and redundancy and absurdity of course there is but if you want to compare the cia to the department of education if you wanted to uh, compare you know the cia to health and human services. I mean, you start looking at some of the federal government agencies and you realize, oh my gosh, not only are we spending enormous amounts of the public's money, and remember, time is money, right? When the government is taking more from you in the form of taxation and bonding your children to these debts in the future, they're taking your productive time from you and they're taking your possessions, in a sense, from you and giving it to other people which is why, yes, limited taxation is essential. It's interesting, you know, if you go back, and you, you read, as I like to, uh, a lot of American history, you go through all these periods and you go, wait a second, what's, why, were, why were tariff houses so expensive? Why were tariffs so important? Oh, because that's how we funded the entire federal government until the 20th century. Right. You know, they don't teach kids that in school. Wait a minute, you mean that you could have been an American in the 1880s? 
and not paid a dollar of income tax because there was no income tax income tax? Yes, yes. But the federal bureaucracy is more powerful than it has ever been. And it's something that we have just begun to recognize as the threat to our freedoms and liberties that it really is. I mean, it was Fauciites working for uh, the NIH and the CDC who were pretending. I mean, think about the game they played. Oh, we're just we're just giving you guidance. It wasn't guidance. They were laws in effect because the Democrats that were in power and a lot of Republicans, too, said, I'll do whatever the CDC tells me to. And they knew that. So they had the power of law without actually getting elected to anything. And that's troubling. There was an outsourcing here of the accountability mechanism of our system to the federal bureaucracy during the pandemic. And the results were disastrous. The results were awful. I mean, how can anyone look at what happened in this country with over half a million dead? And who knows what the total number of infections is? As I've told you, I believe that close to half the country was at some point exposed to and infected with COVID-19. And I can show you. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com if you uh, slash Buck Sexton if you want to send us a message or team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm here for to make sure that all the good things happen. Let us get right to it, shall we? Um, and I, I love hearing from all you in roll call. Please do write in, especially if you've never if you're a, a noob, a newbie for roll call purposes. You got to write in. Producer Mark, have I ever asked you, the Snow Princess asked me recently what my all-time favorite movie, she just was, it was one of those kind of curiosity questions that you just ask somebody because you feel like it. All-time favorite movie. What is your all-time favorite movie? Is it Mighty Ducks? Yeah. Or is that your all-time favorite sports movie? No, that, that my favorite movies, yeah. 100%. Your favorite yeah. movie all I just time. I just get nostalgic about them. Like, there's just those movies that you watch and you just love it every time. Why wouldn't I call it my favorite? I don't think yeah. it's the best movie ever, but I personally love it. No, I'm with you. I mean, uh, for me, it's Braveheart, which, you know, I, I, what, what connection do I really have to a bunch of guys in 1200s era Scotland running around with, uh, with kilts on? Which, by the way, they wouldn't have even been wearing kilts at that time. Kilts came later. There's a lot of historical inaccuracies and inaccuracies in it. But anyway, who cares? Great movie. I love it. So I'm with you. But I was just wondering about that. Wow, Mighty Ducks number. You know, I haven't seen it. You've never seen The Mighty Ducks? Never seen it. You told me to watch Miracle, which I enjoyed. So you have some credibility with me on this one. So I may maybe this weekend. We we want to have kind of a low-key weekend with the Snow Princess. So uh, I think maybe maybe Mighty Ducks might have to happen. You have to go into it with understanding that it's a movie for children. Yeah. Can I tell you that there was a – I did a – I did a Google search the day of the big announcement because I wanted to see what news coverage there was. I'm not somebody who Googles himself, uh, but – the day when you have a Wall Street Journal piece and a Daily Mail piece and a Fox News piece on on you and your new you know radio show, you tend to want to Google yourself, right? About my co-host and I, Clay Travis, and what we're going to be doing from 12 to 3 on hundreds of stations. And, you know, it's interesting when they have the, the suggested searches based on my name. Producer Mark, did you see this? I tweeted it out, too. It was like 
Buck Sexton, number one, hair. Number two uh, was wife. Number three was history. And number four, I think, was podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, Google knows me so well. Yeah. Wife isn't but there the, anymore for me, by the way, in case you were wondering. What isn't there for you anymore? Wife. Oh, it yeah, no, I don't have a wife. Yeah, I know, I know, but I'm saying from the results you got the other day. I guess oh. people have searched other things so much that wife isn't one of the suggestions anymore. Ah, That's okay. Yeah, no, th- there were some websites years that, that I had that, that people had pointed this out to me when I was single and unmarried. They said, you know, that it's, it says online that you're married. I was like, I'm, I've never been married. You know, I've never been married. I don't know why there should be any confusion about that, but there was for a little while. Um, but anyway, all right. Um, well, let's get into roll call. Let's get into roll call. Uh, Val, hey, Buck, I'm just listening to your exciting new announcement. I have to say, I got a little emotional when you talked about your speech impairment. It just made me so happy you overcame your difficulty and came out on top. You're a great inspiration for never giving up and overcoming the hardship life gives you. The world needs more people like you. I was also a little emotional when you said you were taking over Russia's spot. What an honor, and I can't think of anyone better to fill his spot. I can only imagine him looking down and being very happy about you trying to fill his shoes. I wish you the best of luck with the new show. I have no doubt it'll be awesome, and I'll continue to listen. I've passed the buck along, and now my English boyfriend and I always listen to your show together. We're huge fans. We wish you all the best, Val. Well, Val, that's awesome. And look, tell him I really appreciate that he listens to the Buck Sexton show. You know what I mean? It's fantastic. It's the best. He loves it. It's like my favorite podcast. You know what I mean, Mark? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a little bit like uh, from forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's the kind of English accent that that guy, what is his uh, um, brand? Is it Russell Brand? Russell right? Brand, love that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, oh, I was going to listen to your demo, but then I just decided to go on living my life. You know, that guy? Did you ever that's see the, the movie they made with that character? Yeah, take, take him to the Greek. Get him to the I Greek, did not, yeah. I did not like it. Or yeah, get him to the Greek. That I makes sense. Like it. it is a little raunchy. It's yeah, it's I did not like it. Um, I, I like forgetting forgetting Sarah Marshall's a little raunchy, but I liked it anyway. Um, you know, I talked to my dad recently. You know, he told me he said the Game of Thrones was too violent for him. And and I got to tell you, he's kind of right. It's a really violence like goes above and beyond, you know, but I still liked it. Uh, I've never even seen it. It doesn't interest me at all. I know a lot of people are shocked and in awe at that, but. It's true. It's all right. Well, I don't. I don't give you recommendations anymore because I gave you one that you'll like on Amazon Prime, but you never watch it because your uh, your missus apparently shoots oh. down my ideas. So well, I, I guess I have to watch it soon because I only have a couple weeks left. You know, you should probably check it out. I think I think you'd enjoy it. But I'm not even going to say what it is because people have heard it too many times in the show. Will, congratulations on the big news, my friend. It could not have happened to a more deserving person. Nobody worked harder for this than you have, and now it's all paid off. I wish I could say I was OSS. But I started listening to you after one of your early fill-ins on Rush's show, and I immediately subscribed to your podcast and have listened ever since. While nobody could really fill Rush's shoes, I think we all know that you were a top choice. I'd say keep up the good work, but I already know you will. Uh, well, thank you, Will. And, and yeah, I think that's true. No, nobody can fill Rush's shoes. And, and I never have said nor will say that I think that that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm just trying to carry on in whatever 
portion of the time slot that is open now that formerly was the rush time slot, whatever portion of that I can, I try to carry forth the, the rush legacy. And I know there, there are others who will be doing it too. And I said to you yesterday, I mean, you know, Dan Bongino is a great guy. He's a friend of mine, really talented. He does a good show. I mean, there are, there are going to be people that are coming in and doing great work. And I'm just, I focus on doing the best work that I can. That's why I like guys like Bongino and Beck and, and some of these others who also do really good work and they're focused on that. They're not, they're not attacking people. They're not coming after people. Um, it's just always, always better to, always better to, to you know, take the, the positive route, you know, to, to, be, to be building other people up. You know, it's fun. It's fun to build up other people in this business. It's fun to be nice to other people. It really is. You know, if you take that attitude, it's a good thing. Um, other people, though, are, you know, you know they, they, hate the, they hate the competition. Um, Steven, just adding to the pile, congratulations. I was mildly bummed when you went from the Saturday show to a daily show on The Blaze because I knew I might not be able to listen live as often, but was so happy for you. Same thing now. Bummed on one level, but so happy for you on another. Shields high. Well, thank you, Stephen. Just remember, you can always, always listen to the Buck Sexton Show podcast, and you will be able to listen to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast as well. Um, so, yeah, you can listen to it on demand. So you never have to go without it. Um, Jeff, congratulations, Buck. Going back to original Saturday Squad and Action Movie Friday. It's great to see you reach the pinnacle of radio. I know you'll set the bar even higher. You're the right man for the job. This is the quasi-equivalent of catching a beer bottle that was supposed to be split in half by a sword. It's all in the reflexes. First of all, Jeff, I love the Big Trouble in Little China reference. Uh, so thank you. Second of all, action movie quote Fridays. If we do live calls with, uh, with uh, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show, maybe we'll bring that back. Mark, that was before your time. People would call in, just throw a quote at me from an action movie and see if I could get it. And I'd say, I don't. I never kept official stats. I'd say I got them 70, 75% of the time. Yeah, producer John used to tell me about that. But since oh, yeah. calls, uh, I can't yeah. uh, help you with that. Yeah. yeah, I miss producer John. How's he doing? He's doing well. I spoke to him right. uh, a couple months ago. Tell him Team Buck sends a hug. All right, that's going to be the show for today, team. Back tomorrow, same time and place. Shields high.